A few weeks ago, we participated in a blood drive, and um, I wanted to kind of just share, one, a thank you. Um, The reason we did this now is because every summer there is a huge drop in the the amount of blood that is given, um, and the accidents go up. And this was a really um, simple, tangible way we could um, help in our community. And so that week, we had 62 people um, give blood, which is a really cool thing. But what that means is there are 186 lives that were saved and affected because of your blood donations. And if you think, well, 62, maybe that's not that big of a deal. This is the largest non-school blood drive that Carter Blood Care has done in East Texas this year. And so that is an amazing thing in a really simple, effective, tangible way that we get to help in our community. And so um, I know that's something that we've done now. This is our third year. This is the largest one we've had, and I hope it will continue to grow as we move forward. And so thank you for all of you who gave and were a part of that. I want to begin in Genesis um, we have this week and next week as we kind of wrap up this Joseph series. And I want to read um, Genesis 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your, the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Joseph wept. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. We live in a world that is formed by payback. And the greatest fear of Joseph's brothers, when all has happened and their father is dead, is that Joseph will pay us back for what we did to him. Inevitably, a couple of times every single week, we hear one of our children crying. And the other one will run into our room and will ask, what, and it's usually the brothers, what did you do to your brother. 
And the response is never, well, I hit him. The response is almost always, well, he hit me. You you never get the confession of here's what I did. You only get the reason for why they did what they did. Because this idea of payback is so natural to us. When someone does something wrong to us, when someone hurts us, when someone says something about us, when someone takes something from us, when someone does something that we feel we have been wronged, our natural inclination is almost always to pay them back. Because if they did this, then they deserve what they get. And so Joseph's brothers come to Joseph, and they say, hey, dad is now dead, but we have to pass on a message that he gave you. Don't pay back your brothers for what they did. Don't pay them back for what they did. Now here's Joseph sitting on the throne as second in command of all Egypt, with all power, can do whatever he wants at whatever point. And the question that we've been wrestling with in this series that I think is so important is how would someone in Joseph's situation respond if they completely trusted God? If you put yourself in Joseph's shoes, on Joseph's throne, with Joseph's responsibility, with Joseph's power, if you completely trusted God and you found yourself in Joseph's place, what would you do? Because the bigger question is not just what would Joseph do in this situation, but what should you do? How would you respond in that place? Or maybe the better question, how would someone in your situation, with your circumstances, with your family, with your debt, with your marriage, with your kids, with your job, with your boss, with your spouse, how would someone in your situation respond? if they completely trusted God? Now, here's why that question is so important. Because when we ask that question about Joseph, we have the ability to step back from the story. And we have the ability to see everything. And to ask ourselves that question, how would we respond in Joseph's situation? And the reason that in question is so important to you is because there have to be times in your life where you are able to step back from your circumstances and to look at your situation and to ask that question. How would someone in my shoes, how would someone in my situation respond if they completely trusted God? See, we live in a world that has been formed by payback. 
And the way of payback is the way of the world under the sway of Satan. It's Satan's influence to accuse and to pay back what is owed. But the problem is revenge becomes this endless cycle of getting even. It becomes the endless cycle of trying to make sure that evil has been repaid. That they, in the end, get what is coming to them. I mean, you think about all of our television shows. So many shows we watch are based on payback. Because you watch someone that is wronged. And you watch the show unfold. And what you hope for, what you want to see happen, is for it to be made right. For the guilty to be punished. For them to get even. And we love that story. The problem is that story never ends. It will always continue on. You see, Joseph, in his circumstances, and you you see it as he encounters his brothers for the very first time, and he's now at this place where he's starting to to recap and and think about all the things that have happened to him. He's starting to remember, and you see Joseph in these times where he is weeping. He meets his brothers, and his first inclination is to speak harshly to them. And he puts him in prison for three days. And then he keeps one of his brothers from going home to the father. And then he sets up his youngest brother, Benjamin. He's wrestling with this payback. How do I get even? How do I repay them for what they did to me? I mean, at 17, I'm sold into slavery. And I find myself in this place of prominence And then Potiphar's wife accuses me, and I find myself in prison. My life, the ups and downs, the hard times, the difficult places, all of this is because of them. And now I'm in a place of power and prominence, and I have position. And I have the ability to get even. I have the ability to make sure what happens to them is what they deserve. See, without forgiveness, there is no future. Only the endless repetition of the painful past. And Joseph's brother's greatest concern is that when dad is gone... Joseph will hold a grudge and pay us back for all the wrongs we did to him. Most of you have heard the story of the Hatfields and McCoys. And on Netflix, there is a a short three-part miniseries um, that details and talks about the life and the feud between the family. And one of the things that becomes really obvious in watching the show is that if someone does not forgive, if someone does not let go of the wrongs that are done, 
then this cycle will continue on and on and on, and it will not stop. And you watch as family members are killed by the other family, siblings, brothers, sisters, sons, daughters, all because revenge has become the way of life. Payback is the currency that they work within. But one of the beautiful things that we believe as followers of Jesus is on the other side of forgiveness, a new world is created. On the other side of forgiveness, a world is created that previously did not exist. A world that is beautiful and right and just and things are as they are supposed to be. But every inclination within us says it cannot work that way. The guilty cannot go unpunished. Forgiveness cannot be the way the world works. But we follow a Savior who said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. We follow a Savior who primary, whose primary response when confronted by sin was to forgive it. His primary response when confronted by sin was to forgive it. And so Joseph's brothers, with this fear of what Joseph might do, the revenge that could come, the payback that could come, and so they, went, they sent word to Joseph saying, verse 16, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. See, they have this expectation of how things are supposed to work. And if I were in Joseph's place, enduring what Joseph had endured, here is how I would respond. I would hold a grudge. I would want to pay them back. I would not want to forgive them because they deserve to pay for what they did. And so when you now are in the place where you have the upper hand, Because in the first scenario, it's Joseph, the younger brother, who is hurt by the people who have the power in the family, the older brothers. And now the tables have turned, and everything has been flipped upside down. And now it's Joseph in the place of power. Joseph with prominence. Joseph with position. Joseph who can do whatever Joseph wants. And his brothers are in need. And they know how they would respond. And so, this is what you are to say to Joseph. 
I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. And his brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Forgiveness is simply saying, I, even though I have the right, even though I have the power, even though I am completely justified in my actions, I will not seek revenge. We live in a world that is formed by payback. But payback is the way of the world under the sway of Satan. Where you are to get even and you are to make sure things are right the way that you see fit. That you have power and you have the ability to do what you think needs to be done to make things right. See, what forgiveness is not Forgiveness is not saying this didn't hurt. It's not saying that this didn't matter. It's not saying that this was right and everything is okay. It's not even saying that they don't deserve punishment or that punishment is necessary. It may very well be. But one of the things that Joseph understands is he tells them, don't be afraid of me. Don't be afraid of me. This is not my place to seek revenge. This is not my place to make things right. This is not my place to step in and do what I think needs to be done at this very moment based on what you did. It's not saying everything is okay. It's not saying it didn't hurt. It's not saying it's not going to take time to get over. It's just simply saying You hurt me. You took something from me. You said something about me. And I will not go in the way of revenge. I will not seek payback for what you did. And it seems that the world we live in is so formed in the way of payback that it's just second nature. You turn on any news station and you see the fights that are happening. And you see the the escalation of violence in, in countries and in different places in the world. And it's always based on this idea of payback and making sure that things are right, the way that they should be. But the way of Jesus is not the way of payback. The way of Jesus is always the way of forgiveness. 
which brings up a really important question about God's justice. And do you see God's justice as retributive or restorative? What what is it that God is trying to do in the world? Is He trying to bring retribution? Or is He trying to bring restoration? Is He trying to bring hope and healing and new life out of death? Because that's what the the grave was about. The grave and the resurrection was about a new world on the other side of forgiveness. A world that previously did not exist. But through the healing power of forgiveness, through the power of the cross, through the power of the blood, there is a new world that His disciples... And his followers have been called to create, to be a part of, to bring his restorative justice into this world. And one of the most powerful questions I think we ask ourselves when we've been wrong, what is your hope that God would do? If you can stand in the place of judgment and step out like Joseph does and say, this is not my place. Am I God that I would seek revenge? Am am I God? Should I stand in his place of judgment? One of the most powerful questions we can ask is how would you want God to respond to you? How, if you were the one who was the oppressor, If you were the one who hurt someone, if you were the one seeking forgiveness, would you want God to respond to you with grace and mercy and forgiveness? See, because when it's me... That's not generally the way I feel. See, when it's me, I want God to love me and forgive me and show me grace. But when it's someone else who hurt me, I want God to step in and bring justice. I want it to be made right. I want to see things be fair like they're supposed to be. And what Joseph does, in the place that, let's just be honest, the place we would all love to be in. What Joseph does is simply says, don't be afraid of me. Not only am I not going to repay the evil that you did to me with evil, but I'm also going to take care of you and your family. And I'm going to seek restoration. And I'm going to seek wholeness. 
I'm going to seek a new world that is not possible without forgiveness. You see, if Joseph does not forgive, the Bible probably ends in Genesis 50 with a nasty family feud where Joseph holds a grudge and puts his brothers in slavery. And this 12 tribes never really gets a chance to flourish. But on the other side of Joseph's forgiveness, there is a new world that is formed. A world of possibilities that was not possible just moments before. Until Joseph speaks these powerful, powerful words words, I forgive you. See, what's amazing about this story is in all of the the first 50 chapters of Genesis and of the Bible, this is the first reference to forgiveness. This is the first time forgiveness is mentioned, and it comes in the form of a story where a brother has been wronged by his siblings He's been hurt, and injustice has been done to him. And his response is to forgive. His response is to say that you, you intended this for evil, but God intended it for good. God had some bigger things in mind in this whole plan and that it was many people would be saved because of the position I'm in this passage we read just a moment ago in Romans Paul talking to the church in Rome who was oppressed and who lived in fear of the Roman government says to them Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Joseph forgives. Many of you know the story of South Africa. And the apartheid in South Africa from 1948 to 1994. Where the South African government legislated racial injustice through their government. The white population of South Africa made up about 10% of the overall population. And their government was designed to keep blacks and colored and minority people in oppression. And they had white-only schools and white-only businesses 
White only bridges, white only water fountains, white only hospitals, white only ambulances. It was a world where it was designed to lift up the white people, that 10% of the population, and completely oppress the other 90%. And at one point, they began removing people from these towns over the, the course of about 50 years. Over 600,000 people were displaced from their homes, cities, and towns and basically moved into these reservations. And as international pressure mounted for them to renounce the apartheid, the government of South Africa became even more violent, responding to peaceful protest with violence and even murder. At one point, over 40,000 South Africans were subjected to public whipping. And a man named Nelson Mandela became an activist and began to speak out against the injustice and was eventually sentenced to life in prison, where he would actually serve 27 years of that life sentence until 1990 when he was released. It was in 1993 that he won the Nobel Prize. And in 1994 that the apartheid government of South Africa was completely dismantled. And for the first time in 76 years, Nelson Mandela was given the right to vote. And the people of South Africa elected him to be the next president. It is the story of Joseph retold as someone who goes from the prison because of injustice, finds himself in the place of the president. And the world stood by and watched in wonder because they knew how Mandela and the people of South Africa would have to respond. What must be done. But Mandela said there is another way. And instead of the Nuremberg trials or national amnesia, we are going to choose the way of truth and reconciliation. And they formed a commission to begin to imagine a better world, a new world on the other side of the oppression, a new world that previously did not exist. And he appointed the Archbishop Desmond Tutu to oversee this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And the government basically came out and said, this new government under Mandela said, that if you will come and you will confess your crimes and plead guilty and acknowledge your sin, you will be given complete amnesty. And over seven 
thousand South Africans came and confessed their sins, renounced the evil they did, and received amnesty. And thousands, thousands who were wrongfully hurt amidst the injustice began to tell their story and offer forgiveness to those who hurt them. And maybe one of the most beautiful pictures of what this truly looked like in Nelson Mandela's inauguration as he addressed the crowd sitting beside him in the seat of honor was his white jailer who he invited to be his guest. Because these people believed there was another way aside from the way of payback. That there could be a future that did not have to go the route of revenge. That there could eventually be a better world created in the midst of this one that is decaying and dying. And Desmond Tutu wrote a book called There is No Future Without Without Forgiveness. And in it he says this, We contend that there is another kind of justice, restorative justice. Here the central concern is not retribution or punishment. The central concern is the healing of breaches, the redressing of imbalances, and the restoration of broken relationships. A seeking to to rehabilitate both the victim and the perpetrator who should be given the opportunity to be reintegrated into the community he is injured by his offense. This is far more personal approach regarding the offense as something that has happened to persons whose consequences is a ruptured relationship. Thus, we would claim that injustice, restorative justice, is being served when efforts are being made to work for healing for forgiving, and for reconciliation. I'll just be honest. I don't know much about their theology. But I do know that in this story, we see a beautiful picture of reconciliation and forgiveness. And I wonder if Jesus in his prayer, as he says, Father, we want to create this new world on earth as it is in heaven, if this is something in the way of what he had in mind. A future, a new creation, beautiful, that is on the other side of brokenness. A world of hope on the other side of hopelessness. A world of life in an empty tomb 
on one on the other side of one that is filled with death and decay. A world that's restored by a cross and a God who says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. A God who calls every single one of his disciples and followers to be like him. As he calls himself the way, the truth, and the life. And I ask that you would believe in God, not just simply as a part of a salvation equation, but that you would believe and trust Him enough that you would actually begin to live like Him. And that the forgiveness that was poured out on you as His disciple, when you received His Spirit and His forgiveness and baptism, when you received His love and grace and mercy, that that would be shown and given to this world that is broken and dying and falling apart. Because we believe as people who have received forgiveness, we believe there is no future without it. Not just that we would receive it, but that we would offer it. See, Jesus had this radical notion that he believed the primary response to sin would be to forgive it. And we don't believe that it was just simply for us to receive. But it was for us to give as well. Because we believe that what Jesus said and taught was filled with the wisdom of God. And He calls you out of this world of death and decay, out of this world of payback and revenge, and says, follow me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no way to the Father except through me. Not, not just that you would come to me for forgiveness, but that in your forgiveness you would turn and become a person of forgiveness. That you would begin to be a person who is creating this new world as Jesus prayed it would be created. See, I wonder, do we truly believe that there is no future without forgiveness? Or have we become so attuned the way of payback that we've lost sight of the possibility of a new world here in the midst of this world that is passing away with death and decay because I believe those words of hope and those words of forgiveness and reconciliation have the power to transform this world. And if there's anything our world needs more than ever, it is the power of forgiveness. Not just received, but given and lived out. Our Father in heaven,
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. This morning we offer you that invitation. Come to Christ. Have your sins washed away. Be made new. Be buried in baptism. And this new world is created on the other side of death as resurrection happens again. Come. Submit. Give your life. Be formed in His image. If we could pray for you in any way, we're going to have... staff and shepherds around the back of the auditorium. We would love whatever we could do to help you in your journey. So come while we stand and sing. Let the weak say, ah.